This episode is brought to you by Lending One. Back in 2008, Jordan Kavana saw an opportunity. In the aftermath of the financial crisis, he began picking up homes with the idea of doing them up and selling them on. But that's not exactly what happened. Instead, he became a landlord, seeing yet another opportunity, renting out single-family homes, a world that had typically been dominated by mom-and-pop owners. That venture lay the foundation for his current investor platform, Arc Homes for Rent, which has an aim to acquire or develop about $3 billion in housing over the next three years in the Sunbelt, focusing on build-to-rent homes and single-family homes. He says Arc Homes for Rent is particularly unique because it buys newly built homes only and because it has a preventative health platform, an app called Arc Living. This is BizNow Reports. My name's Miriam Hall and Jordan is my guest today talking over the growth of the single family rental market, how domestic migration is affecting his business, how he expects both multifamily and single-family rentals to become a united front, as well as his views on single-family rentals' reputation as the destroyer of the American dream, home ownership. So let's start with kind of the big news in the single-family rental space. They have new data out that says for sale market, the for sale market is actually stabilising. You know, sales are picking up slightly between February and March and interest rates are down a little bit. How did those kind of developments affect your business? I think it's a really good thing because we, you know, our business model is predicated not on retail sales being weak, but rather on the fact that there's a tremendous amount of housing stock and supply that... Um, is just not there. Um, and so we are building that inventory, that entry-level inventory of, of newly built, fully amenitized homes. Um, and, and so that is, number one, that is the most important factor that we look at. Um, I would also say that uh, it helps us when there's a robust retail-driven market. Um, and the reason for that is because most of our investments are with builders and in communities where we want to have you know, some for sale, and some for rent. Um, those two demographics play nice with one another. In our case, our renters are sometimes you know, trying before they buy for three years, four years, five years, and so it's a nice transition. Um, and if they don't, um, because they are in these newly built uh, new home communities um, with uh, homeowners, they tend to take care of the properties far better than when it's just purely rental. So all in all, I would say it's a positive. Because on one one side of the argument would be, oh, if people can buy, they'll just buy. They won't rent your homes. But it sounds like it's the health of the economy generally in terms of how people are living that actually is a good thing for your business. It is, it is. And, and I, I would say there's always a place for some financial uh, you know, gymnastics that are played by all market participants. Um, builders have done a very nice job because in many cases they own the companies that finance the retail purchases, they've done a good job of getting creative and, and incentivizing those retail purchases. Um, but, but look, there's another fact, which is it is very difficult, wh- whether you're looking at millennials or any of the other um, demographic buckets, it's very difficult to have those savings in this day and age and in this market um, to actually uh, buy a home. And so for that reason, I would say there's still a, a, a large addressable market of renters that we speak to. And so both, both strategies can coexist, and they do. So just to clarify, when you say retail, you mean just your average buyer, your average mum or dad or family who's, or individual, of course, who's, who's making a purchase? Correct, correct. Maybe the better way to describe it is an end user versus a, an investor owner like ourselves. 
Let's step back a little bit about your business. You started when you saw an opportunity to start snapping up homes um, after 2008. You bought, I think, 6,000, thousands of homes um, around that time. Uh, tell me a little bit about the business strategy there. Was it just to buy distressed assets and then sell them? Or was, it, was the idea always to become a big landlord? Yeah, it's a great question. So interestingly enough, I came from the multifamily space and, and, and um, I, I started losing renters and multifamily to single family homes. And when I, would, when I would question them, they would say, look, in single family, I have more square footage, more privacy. And so it really piqued my interest. Um, to answer your question, in 2008, I, I went to the largest foreclosure states, so California, Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. And it really, uh, it started as, a, as what I saw as a, an opportunity and in a moment in time. In other words, I, I couldn't understand how buying properties at 40 or $50 a foot, how you can make mistakes. And so I said, well, this is a great you know, capital management strategy. Let me figure out how to buy up these auctions, fix up the properties and resell them, and just keep my capital working. And then I invited you know, friends and family and then family offices and it's really started growing. And so, no, I never thought that this was going to be a large uh, platform like it is today. Uh, and, and, and we're still, you know, in, in infancy, I would say, rel relative to where we want to be. Um, I always thought that this was a trade. But, but frankly, um, 2008 starting uh, all the way into 2011, I, I looked at the space and I said, wow, there is such an opportunity here to disrupt, both from a technological standpoint, from a process improvement standpoint. I mean... Here we are with one of the largest asset classes in the world, if not the largest, and it felt like there were just a bunch of mom and pops doing this. And so I said, well, great, we're, we're, we're gonna be in this for the long haul. And so, um, yeah, we, um, it wasn't the plan, but, but here we are. So originally it was just sort of a standard flip, I guess, buy the houses, do them up, sell them on at a profit. Yeah, yeah, it was buy, reposition, and sell. Um, and then by 2012, after doing around 6,000 transactions all over the country, we said, you know, I think there's something there to buy and hold and really scale up a platform that's vertically integrated with the appropriate team, technology, processes, etc. And so we started doing that, and all of a sudden, we started noticing huge institutional market participants entering the space, like, you know, Invitation Homes, American Homes for Rent, and others. And... At that point, it became a cost of capital game, meaning I said, how am I with my, at that time at least, with, with high net worth and very little institutional capital, how am I going to compete with capital players that, that, uh, that can far outbid me um, and, and really play with returns in ways that I can't? And so for that reason, we, we always have had to, as a platform, stay one step ahead of where the market is. In other words, while everybody was scaling up with older vintage homes, and doing a fantastic job at it and lending a lot of credibility to our asset class, we were working with builders and buying only newly built homes. Then when people started doing newly built homes, we said, you know what, we're going to have to have something that's value-add for our, for our renters, for our customers. Let's focus on preventative health and newly built homes. And so that's what we've had, had to do to remain uh, a market participant and, and an important and leading one. Uh, and so far it's worked. So when you started targeting new builds back in 2015 and expanding the business, what was happening in the market that gave you the conviction that owning a vast number of single family homes um, in places that were normally owned by mum and pops, as you said, was a smart business decision? Did you just kind of read the writing on the wall and say, this is where the housing market's going and this is where wages are going and they're not aligned? 
So really what took me there was I spent a lot of time looking at the um, quarterly filings for a lot of the largest public builders. And, and, and what I realized was that, of course, they're in the earnings management business, um, uh, being public companies. And so I said, why, instead of trying to go to the open market and, and buy homes, why don't I partner up with them and give them a solution by being the buyer that is there at quarter end to take up inventory from them that they haven't sold to end users or retail buyers? Um, and in turn, they have that certainty and I get to have newly built product that's going to have home warranty and a bunch of other features that you can't typically find in the open market. And so um, that's what started this process. And as I start, of course, you know, uh, I'm summarizing because it took a long time for a lot of these uh, builders to, to come around to the idea. But, um, you know, as we started uh, transacting and, and when we took it to over $100 million a year with one public builder, um, I realized that we had something really important going in that we ultimately were going to have a, a product that five years down the road, after it's rented a few times to different renters, it was still going to be a new home, newer home um, relative to the average vintage that you saw out there. It was going to have upgraded features because it was built for people who wanted to end up buying it, not renting it. Um, and most importantly, because I think public builders do a very good job of studying growth markets and demographics, a lot of the um, mistakes that I think people in this business sometimes make, including ourselves, when you buy in areas that perhaps you shouldn't have, I think that when you're following the builders with newly built product, they've done a lot of that research and due diligence. And so we piggybacked and learned a lot in the process and continue to learn. Do you typically sell on some of these homes to the renters? Like, do sometimes they say we want to buy it? And is that an option? Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of market participants are doing that. That is not our business plan. We are building for scale and holding um, our assets. Um, having said that, as a matter of fact, uh, or as a matter of our business plan, I should say, there's always a small percentage of units that we'll sell every year for a variety of different reasons. Sometimes we don't grow as much in the market as we want to. Um, you know, sometimes strategically we dispose in some markets, but our strategy is to buy and hold and, and nurture. And then, of course, every five years, we are refreshing the portfolio because we want to make sure that once warranty starts to, um, to wear out on these homes, we're refreshing the portfolio uh, alongside that. So how many, how many homes do you own at the moment, would you say? What's the, the current portfolio? We're touching just around 5,000 on what we've taken deliveries, and we have another 5,000 in the pipeline that we will take delivery. So as a company, we'll be managing somewhere close to 10,000 homes uh, very, very soon here. So in 2021, you pivoted the business. You, you formed a joint venture with the private equity firm uh, Electra America and with the idea of creating that $2 billion fund to buy and develop 15,000 new units across the states that you're operating in. How far have you been able to get with that? You said, what, you've got 10,000 now? Is that right? Because I'm kind of thinking back to 2021 and I'm thinking that was a completely different time when we talk about interest rates, when we talk about the cost of building. Um, has it gone the way you expected it to go? The joint venture um, with the uh, Electra out of Israel and then ultimately with Electra America um, really had two components to it. One was we wanted to bring a large and reliable balance sheet um, to our platform to help us scale uh, from a financial standpoint. Um, and Electra has a fantastic reputation globally on that front. Uh, and at the same time, we wanted to be one of the first private platforms to have multifamily and single family under one umbrella so that we can exploit some of the synergies that are clearly there 
but nobody has really rolled out in our industry. And, and that's American Landmark, which is an Electra um, um, company. And so, um, you know, to answer your question, the, the business plan that we put forward, and, and frankly, as an entrepreneur, the number that I had in my mind that made sense for me to dilute myself at that time was $3 billion. In other words, if I could, if we could, as a partnership, invest $3 billion over the next three to five years, it would make sense for me to do the deal. Uh, and, um, and so the answer is, we, you know, we've, we're, we're going to approach a couple billion dollars of, of capital uh, once we take uh, the rest of the pipeline that's contracted down. Um, and that will have been in around three and a half years. And so I think that we're doing great um, as a platform and as a joint venture, um, but it's only the beginning. I, I actually thought in my wildest dreams that we were going to get to be a $3 billion platform. I actually think that we're going to probably hit five or six billion in the next 24 to 36 months. Wow. Why is it so much higher than you thought? Um, you know, I think that although this year is, is uh, well, I should say Q4 last year through the end of this year is probably somewhat of a slow year from an investment standpoint, but it has afforded us the opportunity to spend time on um, people, process, technology, uh, and all kinds of interesting things. And thankfully, the partners, uh, you know, my financial partners are all aligned in that this is what we have to be doing. Um, and so because we are making those investments, and because we are bringing, uh, or continuing to bring, I should say, top-notch people to the team, um, I think that there's no reason why we're not going to be a top 10 player in the next few years. In a moment, Jordan talks about his concerns on regulation in the Sunbelt, as well as single-family rentals' reputation and what he's doing to combat pushback. The build-to-rent market is changing and real estate investors need a lender that offers fast and flexible loans. Lending One's transparency, flexibility, and industry expertise provides customers with a stable and reliable lending experience for all SFR and fix and flip investment loans. Lending One is a proud sponsor of the BizNow National Single Family Rental Brief, connecting over 47,000 SFR operators and investors across the United States. Go to LendingOne.com today for all of your SFR and build-to-rent financing needs. That's LendingOne.com. LendingOne, fast, flexible financing solutions. Who are you building for and what kind of rents are, are they going to be paying? Um, so just to clarify, we're, 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 we are not a building. What we typically do is we will partner up with some of the top, um, you know, public and private home builders, um, and we will contract with them to execute on our behalf. We will mirror what they're doing um, as developers, construction managers, uh, what have you. Um, and once they deliver that product to us, to answer your question, we are targeting an $1,800 to $2,500 rent, depending on the market that we're in. Um, if, if it is a built-to-rent community, um, you know, fully amenitized, enclosed, etc. Um, it's probably going to be more on that kind of twenty-three to twenty-five hundred dollars side. And if it's a scattered single-family home, it's more that eighteen hundred to twenty-two hundred uh, dollars. Um, I mean, those are current numbers, of course, not not including uh, you know future uh, growth and so forth. But we are also designing these communities with preventive health and wellness in mind. So whether it's 
the materials that we use in the homes, you know, that they're non-toxic or light monitoring control so that we adjust the lights in your homes uh, in accordance with what is ideal for sleep cycles. And so all these kinds of things that you typically hear being targeted and marketed for the 1%, we are finding ways to bring it to the 99%. And, and more importantly, we want to empower and educate the 99% and say, hey, you can do all this and, and, and no, you don't have to have a lot of money. We can do it with you for as little as 20 to $30 a month and you can have access to all this stuff. So we're very excited about that. What is on the app? Things like gym classes or recipes? Like what is it that's available to them that is falls under the banner of preventative health? Um, so we focus on six pillars. Uh, so things such as mental health, sleep, diagnostics, nutrition, movement. So for all of these pillars that we have, we, we fundamentally offer three things. We offer education around them. So for example, if you're having trouble sleeping, we're not only gonna educate you around resources that are available to you so that you um, have better sleep hygiene, but we're also gonna connect you with a specific product through our app that is gonna help you with sleep training. And, and if you're willing uh, and able, of course, we'll also connect you with sleep specialists that will work with you. Um, so for each one of the pillars, nutrition, sleep, movement, diagnostics, whatever it is, we are bringing it all into your home. Another really cool example that we're very excited about, we went to the uh, probably the, the most um, uh, high-end, uh, expensive um, supplement and nutraceuticals brand out there that works with a lot of athletes, and we said, look, we get your price points, we get the quality of your product, but with our platform and with other market participants in the rental space and the builders, of which we work with all of them, you have hundreds of thousands of doors here that you can potentially go to. We will get an exclusive with you. We want to give our residents better than Amazon pricing for supplements direct to their door through us. Um, and then we're going to open you up to the rest of the industry. And so in doing that in negotiating these deals through relationships that I've had, as well as my business partner in Oric Living, we were able to really bring kind of, you know, high street type product and pricing, you know, for the masses. And, and, and that's really what this is about. So let me make sure I've got it straight. So you could, if you were renting one of these homes, pay your rent on an app, but on the same app, maybe get some discounted supplements um, and connect with the sleep trainer? And correct. That's exactly correct. And get discounted groceries delivered to your home and get nutritional counseling and do genetic testing in your home, et cetera, et cetera. These are, these are things you never thought you would sort of turn to your landlord for. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's exactly correct. That's, that's the point. The point is, is that we wanted to move it from a transactional relationship to an authentic one where we can say, look, you know, if you're going to be here with us, we want to give you a reason to stay. How can we make you better and healthier? That's exactly the point. Are people staying longer as a result, do you think, or is it too early to make the connection? I, I think it's a little early to say because we're beta testing a lot of different things at this point. Are you still, just back on the demographics thing, are you still seeing the influx of people coming to the Sun Belt from the places like that we talked about a lot, Chicago, New York? Is, is that what you're seeing, people leaving those big urban centres and, and getting more space? Oh, in a huge way. I mean, we just can't keep up with the demand. Here's what I'll say. We, like any company in this business, and it's a very, very difficult operating model when you have all these scattered units relative to like multifamily, um, we make, you know, a million mistakes a year. But with all that said, we still somehow have fantastic occupancy. We have, you know, two or three applications for every unit that we have available, which just says that the, the, the demand is there. The demand is there because of the geographies. But most importantly, I think the demand is there for this product type. 
because people are really appreciating whether it's a work from home or more square footage, uh, more privacy, more green space. People are really trying to get back in touch with nature. That's, that's one thing that we haven't discussed. And I think this asset class lends itself beautifully to that. They want to get out of buildings and they want to get more in touch with nature. And so all of these things are helping us. I ask that because so much has been made of the, the exodus from urban centres to places like the Sunbelt. Um, but, you know, in New York, we're actually seeing the population return. You just have to look at the rental prices. They're absolutely crazy. So how are you predicting that's going to kind of play out in terms of how you sort of chart the future of the business? Yeah, yeah. No, I think, look, I think it's important to to, to qualify that a little bit in the sense that the the going back to the rental rental rates if we're in that let's say 22 2500 rental rate for sure that's not the same renter that's sitting in new york city right income level wise or other but but putting that aside if you look at you know mo most of the markets that we're in which happen to be very kind of pro business pro real estate pro growth markets red markets mostly um, there is a tremendous amount of job growth and the jobs that are leaving some of the markets like Chicago and New York that aren't necessarily the same renters that are paying, you know, five to eight thousand dollars a month for whatever it is, a shoebox of 200 square feet. You know, we we are capturing all of those kind of mid-level jobs. And by the way, some of these are also, you know, technology jobs. Just interestingly enough, anecdotally, we are not investing in Southeast Florida um, because the prices don't make sense for our model. But Miami um, has recently been named one of the hottest tech um, investment hubs in, in the U.S. and and a lot of that is spilling, you know, all you know throughout Florida, Georgia, Carolinas. You're seeing a tremendous amount of aerospace, defense, uh, technology. I mean, all of these jobs are growing, and so that is the demographic profile. That is the renter that we're after, as well as retirees. Right. So you're looking where jobs are growing, I guess. Oh, for sure. That's a huge. Look, we're looking for every every single home that we buy. There's a very rigorous quantitative and qualitative analysis where we're looking at school scores, crime rates, proximity to retail, job growth, public transportation, and the newest one for us, consistent with the Arc Living ethos, is we, we give it an internal nature score. So we want to see like how easy is it going to be for people to interact with nature because we are hearing from our residents that they really love that. It, it really is something that they're looking for. Do you think that you would be growing in this way if work from home hadn't had such an enormous resonance with the population? It's a great question. I think the answer is, again, yes, for sure, just not as quickly, only because, again, the biggest market stat that we're playing into is there's a huge lack of housing supply. Um, and we are, we're supplying that. We're putting roofs over people's heads and we are, you know, a, one notch up over entry level housing, right? We're not, we're not government assisted, we're not affordable, although I, I would argue that it's very much affordable what we're doing. Um, but yeah, we're, we're filling that need. And so I think all that work from home and, and, and pandemic did is it just, it, it was a shot in the arm that this industry needed. Right. It's sort of like the icing on the cake of the rental crisis in yeah, a way. Yeah, you got it. You mentioned the Sun Belt and being pro-business. And I have heard before when people discuss this, because it's obviously a huge discussion in New York because people say the Sun Belt's taking our lunch because the Sun Belt's pro-business and New York is not. I'm just quoting. But people have suggested that you, the rental crisis is so bad that there could be more regulation on a national level. Do you ever think about that? Like, are you concerned at all about, like, regulation that might come down the pike? 
Um, we're very concerned about, we're, well, I should say, we're very cognizant of it and we watch it closely. Where we are, we are concerned with it. Um, as a matter of fact, I just came back um, a week and a half ago from the National Rental Housing Council uh, conference in Nashville, and and look, we, we talked a lot about this. Some of some of the uh, larger uh, platforms in the space um, are spending a lot of time on public policy. As a matter of fact, we um, we just launched the Wellbeing Council uh, with the National Rental Housing Council, which will essentially govern um, you know, well-being standards for the single-family home rental industry. We're very excited about that, not to get off topic, but one of the things that kept coming up at that conference was, you know, how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to deal with not in my backyard and, and, and with municipalities that are making issues? Here's what I'm very excited about. We are, as an asset class, we are now starting to become as forceful and as large, in, and I'm going to only qualify that in a second, as the multifamily industry. And here's why. Because so many multifamily players are now incorporating build to rent into their, into their strategy. And you can argue that single family rentals as a whole. As a result, I see single family and multifamily starting to speak at a policy level with one voice and saying, look, you know, if you're not going to support this, how are you ever going to correct this housing crisis that we have? And so I'm very comforted by the fact that there's there's a lot of force behind uh, pushing back, let's say, on, on that threat. You know, um, single family rental has become contentious <laughs> in recent years. You know, the idea of home ownership typically pitched as the American dream, going to private equity is offensive and worrying to some people, especially considering data shows that many of investor-dominated markets are historically low income and racially diverse. Um, have you encountered that pushback? And, and what are your thoughts on some of the comments or proposals coming out of Congress on that topic? Um, you know, thankfully, as a company, we have not encountered that. Um, uh, it, it's been anecdotal at, at best. Um, well, as you grow, though, you might expect it to. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think it, it will be something that becomes more of a thing. But I, I again, I'm very comforted by the fact that on both sides of the aisle, there's clearly an understanding uh, and a big push for um, affordable housing. And I believe that the single family for rent space is becoming. I don't think it's there yet, but it is becoming um, part of this affordable housing strategy because, frankly most of the major metropolitan uh, MSAs that we're investing in happen to be the same areas where there's a huge housing issue. So um, I think that positive days are ahead is, is what I'm trying to say. Right, because you don't often hear people getting mad about multifamily and saying you're taking homes from, from families. So you think it, the narrative will shift? Um, I, I think it's going to shift a little bit. I, 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 although I will say that on multifamily... You know, if there isn't um, a good percentage of affordable projects um, in an area or if they don't have an affordable component to them, um, there's still, you know, quite a bit of pushback. So I think multifamily has its fair share of, of issues as we do. But, but, but yes, again, I think that because we are all kind of delivering into this housing shortage as, as more of a united front, I believe that it's going to get better. Um, look, maybe I'm wrong, but, but I am very positive and optimistic. What, what do you have to do to shift that narrative, do you think? I think every company has to play to their strength. Uh, I don't think that there's one answer. Um, in our case, because we have such a keen focus on um, preventative health and wellness, what we are doing is we've actually created a position 
um, called Community Ambassador of Wellness. And, and this individual is going to be working in each of the respective communities to say, look, this is what we're doing in our properties. This is what we're doing for our renters. Um, we would like to invite you as a community to participate on this journey of getting better, um, getting better health outcomes. What, what are you interested in? And so whether that means doing community gardens on our properties, um, um, that is something that we're looking at, um, giving the community access to our app at reduced rates, that's also something that we're looking at. So we are going at it um, from that angle. Has it borne fruit yet? I mean, have you, have you thought, has it been working? Um, here's what's been working. Um, they are absolutely talking to us and listening to us and engaging in conversation because we're saying, look, we want, we want to give you something for nothing. So I think uh, I'd be surprised if somebody wouldn't want to take that. Um, but, but at the same time, we are not getting pushback for projects on the approval side because they're seeing that we're coming in with, you know, something that we want to add value-wise for them day one. And so I think that it's helping from that regard. Do you think you'll move beyond the Sun Belt anytime soon? You know, opportunistically, we look at some markets that are further west that we've invested in in the past. Um, our sister company on the multifamily side does invest um, in some of the western markets. And we try to have a very strong overlay between multifamily and single family so we can operate more efficiently. So the answer is yes. Opportunistically, there's some markets that I would love to be in. I'm just not finding the, uh, the trade, if you will. Um, you know, markets like uh, Nevada, for example, I'd love to be back in Nevada. I'd love to be back in Phoenix. But, you know, it's a matter of timing. Is it you can't find the, can't find the, the space or you can't compete at the prices? Is, is that what's stopping you entering those sorts of markets? Um, look, it's two things. I think, number one, we're very focused on what we're doing and we have plenty in the Sun Belt to do. Once we perfect what we're doing here um, and, uh, and maybe run out of enough volume, maybe we'll look at other markets. But right now, we want to be laser focused on, on what we're doing. Jordan, thank you very much. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate your time. Jordan Kavana from Archimes for Rent. I've put links to some of our coverage on single family rentals in the show notes. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.